You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast. This is Jordan Schrader of the News and Observer, hosting the political podcast this week. And with me are Andy Spate and Will Doran, also of the NNO, and Colin Campbell of the North Carolina Insider. This week we'll talk about all the fallout from Charlottesville that we saw in state government and the legislature this week. And we'll talk about session starting back up, uh, as well as how the solar eclipse relates to state government. Uh, but let's start with session. Colin, you, the uh, legislature goes back in at noon today. Uh, it'll be what's called a skeleton session, so there won't be a lot of action at first. The real action starts next week. Um, but the big item on the agenda, and we could talk about some of the other things, but the big item is redistricting. So what's going to happen yeah, uh, next week? Yeah, so uh, next week's going to be the big week for redistricting. Uh, the public hearing has already been scheduled for 4 p.m. Tuesday. They've got, I think, about six or seven sites uh, around the state where you can basically go to a community college, uh, get your three-minute speech in, and it'll be, I guess, video streamed to the legislative office building where the actual committee is going to be sitting for their meeting uh, but as of uh, our recording this on, on Friday morning slash afternoon, uh, no maps have been released yet. So people who are signing up to comment don't yet know what they're going to be commenting on. And uh, when I talked to the redistricting committee chairman, David Lewis, on Thursday, he told me the plan is to get uh, maps out uh, no later than Sunday. So most likely sometime over the weekend, some maps will be posted to the legislative uh, website uh, and people can dig in and see what district they're going to be in and who's getting double bunked and perhaps some of what the uh, partisan uh, makeup of the legislature may look like uh, if these maps are adopted. Uh, So then they'll have the hearing on Tuesday, giving people, I guess, two-ish days to um, read them and figure them out uh, before weighing in. The committee will then vote, I think, on Thursday. Uh, The first floor vote in the House is supposed to be next Friday, and then some final votes will be that uh, final week in August, uh, right ahead of the uh, September 1st deadline set by the courts to adopt new maps. And, of course, the courts have said that the previous maps for State House and Senate were uh, racial gerrymanders, inappropriate racial gerrymanders, and they have to be redrawn. Um, You mentioned double bunked. So explain that a little bit. Um, Who might be double bunked, and what exactly is that? sounds like they're going to be roommates. Yeah, so we've already gotten some sense for this double bunking process of basically two incumbents ending up in the same district. They have the choice either to run against each other or one of them can say that they don't want to serve another term and not run for re-election next year. Um, And we don't have the full picture of how many people are going to be in this boat, uh, but uh, there's a fair amount uh, of sort of possibilities based on the county groupings. Uh, The way the map drawing is going so far is there was a a big map that came out of uh, county clusters. So you take three counties and you've got to draw two districts from within those three counties, but those two districts can't go outside the boundaries of the collective three counties, which means you have things like Uh, Wilson County, which is going to have one House member. Well, currently two House members are from Wilson. Gene Farmer Butterfield, a Democrat. Susan Martin, a Republican. Both of those ladies are not going to be in office next year, most likely as a result of this. Um, So that means that uh, either they'll run against each other or one of them will drop out, and a lot of that will depend on the partisan makeup of whatever the districts look like. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the past, uh, with our U.S. congressional districts, it certainly seemed like uh, Republicans drew districts to force some people out. 
for instance, you know, George Holding and Renee Elmers, who is no longer a congresswoman, uh, were bunked in the same district. And at the time, you know, her popularity seemed to be slipping. Um, is there any indication that, you know, they have very much control over, you know, who's getting pushed out and who's not? I think there will be some on the, uh, the back end of once we see the actual maps. Uh, on the front end with this county gr- uh, clusters that I talked about, uh, a lot of that is based on uh, the way the consultant drew things. So the people who are getting double bunked uh, that we found out so far, people like Susan Martin, who, as far as we know, has not done anything to get on the bad side of leadership. It's just a, sort of an unfortunate scenario. I will note in talking to David Lewis yesterday, he mentioned that part of the criteria is to avoid pairing incumbents in the same district. Uh, so beyond what they sort of automatically have to do based on the county groupings, um, they're going to try to keep incumbents from having to run against each other. That was one kind of a contentious part of that whole meeting when they came up with the rules that I wrote about, gosh, I guess 10 days ago or so. Um, like you said, part of the rules is that they are, you know, they're allowed to avoid putting incumbents in the same district, but they don't necessarily have to. Um, and obviously that's the kind of thing that, you know, no matter what ends up happening, people aren't going to be happy. Um, you know, David Lewis said, as you mentioned, that, you know, definitely there will probably be some people who end up in the same districts. But uh, Darren Jackson, who's the the House uh, minority leader for the Democrats, came out and said, well, why are we explicitly protecting incumbents if they were, you know, elected using these unconstitutional lines? Shouldn't we not, you know, consider the addresses of incumbents at all? So, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, I think, how, you know, how much they uh, they decide to you know, protect people or maybe just kind of throw caution to the wind and say, hey, let's just do it. The legislature is also going to possibly take up Governor Roy Cooper's vetoes in this session. Um, Colin, what do you think uh, will uh, actually come up and which ones will wait, if any? Yeah, so when I talked to uh, Lewis, he said that will be sort of the the other main goal of this uh, particular session. Uh, but he said there hadn't been decisions made on which of the, I think, six or so vetoes uh, that are on the table uh, that they're actually going to take up in this, this session and which ones could wait. Uh, under law, they can wait until next year to do these veto overrides if they choose to. Uh, most of the vetoes, I think, from the looks of things, they've got the three-fifths majority they need. The one questionable one is that newspaper legal notices bill. That one passed by a fairly small margin in the House. Uh, so it seems possible to me uh, that might be one they might want to wait on and try to get the right numbers in the chamber at a certain time. That's a, a tool that Tom Tillis uh, instituted called the Veto Garage, where they uh, don't really schedule the date of the vote and just kind of take it abruptly when they've noticed that the numbers of, uh, of people in the room are advantageous to getting a certain outcome um, because it's it's three-fifths of those present in voting. So if you get a day where 10 Democrats go on vacation, that's often a good time to uh, to get a Republican supermajority if you were concerned about getting it otherwise if all 120 people were there. Uh, but the other th- bills of interest, the garbage juice bill that we've talked about pretty extensively here on Domecast, that's uh, one that's going to probably come back up either this session or, or later. Uh, there's some regulatory bills that came out of the early August session uh, that'll it'll be discussed. And then there's the nonprofit game nights bill that allows uh, nonprofits to have fundraisers that involve sort of gambling style Vegas games and alcohol. Uh, that was also uh, vetoed by Governor Cooper, who was concerned about opening the door to video poker and other legalized gambling. All right. 
We will stay tuned for uh, what happens with the maps this weekend. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, if it's Monday and uh, you're driving and the sky looks uh, ominously dark, uh, you may be witnessing the total solar eclipse that's coming through a good chunk of North Carolina. Uh, Will, there was uh, an intersection of this with state government this week. Uh, you got a memo leaked to you uh, in your new capacity as state employees reporter uh, that uh, directed state managers uh, for procedures to follow during the eclipse. So what are they supposed to do? Yes. Uh, first of all, shout out to, uh, you know, whoever leaked that to me. Uh, <laughs> Mystery State employee. Keep on leaking. Keep on bringing them. And if you um, want other uh, to leak other things to Will, the email address is. Oh, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> wdorn at newsobserver.com. So keep them coming. But, um, but yeah, uh, this uh, memo came from the, the state HR department, and it basically said, uh, you know, hey, managers, tell your employees that if they are on the clock Monday, they are not allowed to look at the eclipse. Um, also, you know, not allowed to, uh, you know, go up onto the roofs of buildings or things like that to look at it. Um, you know, don't endorse any watch parties, don't host any watch parties, things like that. Um, so why are, why does state government concerned with whether somebody looks out the window and uh, uh checks out this eclipse. Are it's about money. It always comes down to money. Um, this uh, The memo is from the guy who's in the head of the state's basically avoiding workers' comp division. Um, and they are worried that, you know, people might look at the eclipse without proper eye protection and hurt their eyes. And, you know, if they do that while at work, while on the clock, they can definitely sue for workers' comp claims. Um, so, you know, it's really uh, just a CYA measure here by the state. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's, you know, been other companies or local governments doing similar things like this. I'm sure there probably has, you know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, it didn't take lawyers too long to figure out, oh, hey, you can, you know, seriously damage your eyes by looking at the sun. We got to make sure that, uh, you know, there's something in place that tells people, hey, if you want to go do this and, you know, take some vacation time, um, but, uh, yeah, and, I mean, we've seen other safety things. Uh, one of the other reporters here at the paper, Abby Bennett, wrote a story about some schools that are in session right now. Some year-round schools are actually letting out early on Monday uh, because, you know, maybe they couldn't get enough classes for all the kids at the school, and so they didn't want to have them, you know, running around and possibly looking at the eclipse. So they said, you know what, it's going to be better if we just give them to their yeah. parents. And the, the Western North Carolina counties where the eclipse is supposed to be total, I think most of them have actually straight out canceled schools for all of Monday because of the expected traffic nightmares out there. They want to avoid having school buses on the roads along with uh, the tens of thousands of tourists that are going to jam these mountain roads looking at the eclipse. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of jamming the roads, DOT is also issuing some warnings, right? Yeah. Apparently, even though it's mostly Western North Carolina where the eclipse is going to be, um, they are really concerned about I-95. Um, they think there's probably going to be a lot of people coming up from South Carolina to look at it. And they're saying basically Monday afternoon, 95 is going to be just terrible. Yeah, I think the so. entire north is going to be heading down 95 to the parts of South Carolina, which, uh, fun fact, I looked at the uh, path of totality a while back, and the closest place to here on I-95 is a tiny town called Alkaloo, North Car uh, South Carolina, which I, I guess is going to be the exit everyone's going to be taking. Uh, and descending on this town with like two churches and a bank <laughs> and, it, and it does sound like you do need to go down there or go to the mountains uh, to see it because we, we had a story also uh, that basically said it's going to be close to imperceptible here it's just going to be like 
Yeah, like so it's cloudy, basically. I'm no traffic engineer, but I would imagine 40 is going to be pretty backed up, too. Because, um, you know, yeah. how do you get to 95? You take 40. Yeah, and certainly anything going out to the, the western side of the state. Um, I think people are probably smart to go early. And uh, if you're going down to South Carolina, I would imagine you'd want to avoid 95 and try to pick your way down there through some back roads and expect to spend a lot of time doing the drive uh, to get there if you're just going down Monday. Yeah, US-1 might be a little bit better if you're okay with, you know, driving up through Moore County in that area of the state. Yeah, get, get to know some really small towns on your way down to South Carolina. Exactly. All right. Well, the other hot topic, obviously, this week was uh, the violence in Charlottesville. And there was a lot of reaction here, a lot of fallout here, uh, mostly dealing with monuments. So uh, Governor Cooper wants to uh, move monuments. He wants to uh, have a state agency study uh, how much it would cost and um, what it would take to move monuments off of state property. Uh, but he was drawing some uh, some skeptical reaction, right, Colin? Yeah, uh, you know, he's uh, put out the statement. We were a little bit surprised that he took this strong of a uh, response to uh, the toppling of a monument by protesters in Durham that the next day he was calling for uh, the state to begin the process of looking at uh, removing monuments from state property. So he's ordered the Department of uh, Natural and Cultural Resources to undertake a study of how much it would cost uh, to take down and move perhaps to a museum, perhaps to some other sort of site, uh, particularly things like the state capitol uh, building area where there's, I think, uh, three or four Confederate monuments or monuments to Confederate soldiers, uh, depending on how you look at it. Um, yeah, no then, Robert E. Lee type uh, statues, but there's some soldiers and women of the Confederacy. Yeah, so I, I did a little inventory of what's out there since I walk past it every day. Uh, so there's the big tall one at the foot of Hillsborough Street that says to our Confederate dead and has the guy way up in the air. Uh, then there's the Women of the Confederacy monument um, that was actually vandalized a couple years ago uh, around the time of the uh, Charleston church shootings, if I recall correctly. And then there's about two or three uh, statues of uh historical figures in North Carolina who, among other things, did fight for the Confederacy. One was the first soldier killed in the uh, Civil War. There's a statue of him. There's one of uh, former Governor uh, Zebulon Vance, who uh, was governor during and after the Civil War in North Carolina, but also uh, fought at the beginning of the war. Uh, And then there's another person who uh, went on after the war to become a state legislator and uh, actually an editor in manager of the News and Observer, what soon was to become the News and Observer, um, as well as a historian. So it would really be interesting to see how they define what sort of statues the governor wants to take down. Uh, I asked them questions about that, and they sort of said they're still reviewing. Uh, They don't really have the the definitions yet. There's not even necessarily a comprehensive state list of which statues are considered uh, Confederate memorials. Can, Can the governor do this unilaterally? No, and that's this is where it gets tricky. Uh, the 2015 law that was signed by Governor Pat McCrory and passed through the legislature uh, basically bans any uh, movements of these uh, historic monuments, not just Confederate, but any sort of uh, object of remembrance, I think was the term used in the law. Uh, it basically means you can't move it unless it's just to restore it or because you're repairing some damage to it. Uh, and if you do have to move it for construction project or something else, it has to go to a similar place of prominence. Uh, the exception to this is if you Uh, get the legislature to pass a local bill addressing a specific uh, monument. Uh, So that's 
what's going to prevent the governor from doing that. It's also what's going to prevent uh, local governments, uh, cities and counties from trying to take down uh, statues and monuments on their own grounds. Uh, and that's where uh, Durham is in sort of a weird position. They're not entirely sure what the law says that they have to do with this uh, beat up statue that's now sitting in a warehouse in Durham of, you know, do they have to spend the money to restore it? Uh, because the law is kind of silent on well, what happens if some politically motivated pro- protesters decide to tear the monument down themselves. They, I guess, didn't think of that when the uh, 2015 law was passed. There's an interesting uh, similar law in Alabama, um, you know, that prevents taking down statues. And I saw that the city of Birmingham, uh, to deal with that, they put up a bunch of plywood or something, you know, some sort of lumber all around the statue, basically made a huge box around it to block it from view. And they said, well, we didn't take it down. Um, And they are actually, the city is now being sued by the state over that. Um, I saw in Birmingham, although I would imagine if some city did that here, you probably wouldn't see Cooper suing over it since, you know, he has advocated for taking them down anyways. But it would, I'll be interested to see, you know, like, does UNC do that with Silent Sam? Yeah, is there some sort of workaround to this law that maybe people exploit a a loophole or something? Uh, It was interesting trying to get the legislators' reaction to uh, Cooper saying he wants to see this law repealed. Um, For two or three days, uh, our reporters and I think reporters from many other media outlets were uh, trying to get an answer from House Speaker Tim Moore and Senate Leader Phil Berger, and we're getting nothing um, and as far as I know, Moore has still not spoken out about it. Uh, Senate Leader Phil Berger uh, published a very long op-ed piece on Thursday uh, detailing you know, his concerns both about what happened in Charlottesville and his concerns about people breaking the law in Durham to uh, take down this monument, uh, but then said he, he doesn't want to erase history uh, with taking down monuments uh, and that the legislature passed this law to create a a standardized system that wasn't as political as it might be at the local level uh, to deal with this. Uh, But in that article, Berger sort of stopped short of saying, we absolutely must keep this law or all the monuments must stand. He just said he he doesn't want to see wholesale removal of all the monuments without a a public process for input. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if if that actually means he's left the door open to some changes from the way things currently stand or whether he's going to oppose everything Cooper's trying to do with this. So what do you guys think? Do you think there's much chance the law will be repealed or some uh, compromise will be reached? It's been interesting to see the, the level of which this issue has just snowballed just in the past week. Um, And people, including, I think, uh, one of our reporters talked to uh, Senator Jeff Tart, who's a Republican from the Charlotte area who wants to revisit this law. So I think there's a decent chance there may be some sort of compromise in the works to perhaps put some power back with local authorities. This is a really divisive issue, and if the state has to deal with local bills for every single monument, uh, they're not going to want to do that. So there's a chance that they might want to say, Actually, you guys deal with this at the local level, and you know, if the you know clan is on the march, they'll they'll come to you and and not come here to Jones Street. The clan is on the march today in Durham, I believe. Uh, you know, we're we're recording this Friday morning, and I don't think they've started marching yet, as far as I know. But there's been reports that they're planning to visit Durham. So, yeah, apparently, also- business are closing in Durham. The sheriff is getting ready researching the potential for groups. I don't know if anyone knows for sure if they're actually going to show up, but I guess the uh, apparently they haven't obtained a permit. I'm, I'm reading our friends at the Durham Herald Sun story right now. So uh, I guess uh, check our website as you're listening to this to find out whether this uh, protest uh, materialized or not or uh, what ends up happening in Durham here on Friday. 
And in addition to newsandobserver.com, that's a good place to uh, mention that Durham Herald Sun is a great resource for all the news about what's going on in Durham. They've been uh, all over it. Uh, Andy, the other piece of news that came out uh, locally from Charlottesville was uh, Governor Cooper uh, criticizing the law that um, – the bill, I should say, that passed the House uh, but has not yet become law. Uh, related to drivers who may hit protesters. Um, this was proposed uh, earlier this year after some of the, in reaction to um, some of the protests in Charlotte, uh, but it got some new attention after Charlottesville. Uh, so what did Cooper uh, have to say about it? Well, he was sort of the last big prominent uh, Democrat to say something. On Friday, there were people like uh, State Senator Mike Woodard from Durham um, who mentioned what had happened in Charlottesville. And I think everyone's seen that photo by this point from behind the car that's that's hitting those people. And I think uh, there's lots of concern that this bill would enable that. Um, Cooper came out on Tuesday, and the same statement about Confederate monuments, he took a, a jab at this bill and said it should die. But in doing so, um, he sort of left out a lot of important context. Um, so we at PolitiFact took a look at his statement and um, reviewed it and ruled it mostly false. Um, he most, And because of what he leaves out, he did in his statement he said, you know, House Bill 330, which is the name of it, would uh, grant immunity from liability for drivers who strike protesters. And he didn't go any further than that. He even used the words, we, he said, we cannot allow uh, a safe haven for people who weaponize their cars. This bill would in no way allow people to weaponize their cars. And it also uh, includes some important distinctions. It it would not protect pe- drivers who hit protesters that have a permit to be on the street. And it would not, it would, uh, not protect drivers who are found to have willfully, intentionally hit protesters, even if they don't have a permit. Um, and so the so, idea is to uh, give some uh, liability, reduce the liability for people who hit, hit protesters inadvertently. That's right. And I, I, I think this was introduced in the spring after some of the protests in Charlotte over uh, Keith Lamont Scott, um, who, was, who was killed by police there. Um, and people uh, sort of swarmed the streets one night in protest. And I, I, I don't remember all the details. Our friends in Charlotte would know. But I get the sense that what uh, the bill sponsors were trying to do, and the sponsors were Justin Burr and uh, Chris Millis, was you know protect the people who uh, are trying to go somewhere, and they get caught up in a protest, and they're surrounded, and they don't know what to do or how to get out of it, and so they either you know, and they're I'm I'm coming up with this hypothetical situation where you're surrounded and you're trying to get out of it. And you inadvertently run over someone's foot. Yeah, I think the the examples they cited during this debate was back in Charlotte. Uh, there were points during the uh, the Scott uh, protest that uh, protesters shut down I eighty five. Uh, and so people counted being stuck in their cars. They couldn't move. They couldn't drive anywhere. And protesters were surrounding them. And a lot of these people f- were worried that they were going to be attacked just as uh, motorists that got stuck up, uh, stuck in it. So the concern was, well, what if those people get sued for wrongful death or something in, in the wake of something like that? And the other point that some of the experts made that uh, were quoted in your fact check was that even if the bill 
first of all, the bill doesn't really do that much to change uh, state law, but that it might encourage people to uh, think that they have some kind of um, protection that they really don't have. That's correct. Uh, moving past the, the PolitiFact ruling on Cooper, which is mostly false because of what he left out, experts did agree with him that it's a bad idea because it could mislead people into thinking that they're protected if they hit protesters, which is definitely not the case. Uh, they also said that you know, North Carolina's uh, negligence laws when it comes to personal injury are so strong in favor of drivers in general that there's almost no need to add any addition, to add protections at all. Um, and North Carolina, if, let's say, you know, in this situation with drivers and protesters, um, if you, the victim, are, f- are found in any way to have contributed to your own personal injury, whether it's by being in the wrong place at the wrong time or, uh, you know. Jumping out in the middle of the street. Jumping out in the middle of the street or not looking when, you know, when someone's backing up slowly, then you get no damages. If you're 1% liable for your own injury, you get nothing. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with Headliner of the Week. Stay with us. Did you know that North Carolina judges used to ride on horseback across the state to deliver justice? Today, there are more than 1,000 judicial representatives in our state. And through the NCAOC Speakers Bureau, you can request to have a representative speak at your event. Representatives are ready to inform your community about the importance of the North Carolina judicial system, and their visits are completely free. We can't promise they'll show up on a horse, though. Visit celebrate.ncourts.org to request a speaker for your event. We are back with Headliner of the Week, where we talk about who's making news this week. Uh, We're going to do lightning round this week very quickly. Uh, Andy Spate, who's your Headliner of the Week? Uh, Mine, I'm going to go with uh, the protesters in Durham, not for taking down the statue, but what they did afterward, which was line up at the courthouse in mass to turn themselves in. They are not hiding. You know, people are not hiding from, you know, their feelings about these statues. I think it says a lot that they're, you know, they're saying, take me. I want to be, I want it on the record that, that I want this statue taken down. This does not stand, this is not what Durham stands for. Protesters in Durham. Will Doran, who's your headliner of the week? Uh, I'm going with a gentleman named Robert E. Lee. Uh, We've seen uh, several, you know, incidents with him locally. There's a statue of him at Duke University's chapel that was damaged uh, recently after all of these protests kind of nationally over Confederate statues. There's also a uh, gym at Pinecrest High School in Moore County called the Robert E. Lee Auditorium, and they are saying that they absolutely will not rename it because actually it's not named after the general. It's named after a former uh, superintendent of schools there who was named Robert E. Lee. Um, He was born in 1959, kind of right as the civil rights movement was starting up. 
but I, I don't know anything about his politics and the school. Who was he named after? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it like a tribute by extension? If he's a tribute to the original Robert E. Lee, and this is a tribute to him? Colin, don't give people ideas. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure people can write angry letters to uh, his now deceased parents. Um, but the, uh, the school system sent out a note saying he was actually, you know, involved in, you know, the integration of the local schools there. And you know, look, you know, our auditorium is not named after the Civil War guy. It's named after... Uh, a former superintendent. So, uh, you know, backlash everywhere. Uh, some of it uh, possibly mistaken. Case of, uh, I would say, easily mistaken identity. <laughs> All right. Robert E. Lee. Uh, not that Robert E. Lee. Well, actually, it is that Robert E. Lee. In the hat for <laughs> headliner of the week. <laughs> uh, Colin Campbell, who's your headliner? Well, of the I'm week? also going with a sort of interesting case of mistaken identity, and that is Joyce Woodhouse. Uh, best known in Raleigh as the mother of Dallas Woodhouse, head of the NCGOP, and Brad Woodhouse, his uh, liberal brother who works for a number of uh, Democratic Party outfits up in uh, D.C. Uh, she got an email this week uh, announcing a, a plan to recall Joyce Woodhouse from the Nevada State Senate. Uh, apparently it's a different Joyce Woodhouse, uh, but uh, it was sort of an interesting little coincidence. Uh, and uh, Dallas was a little concerned that the Republicans were trying to recall Joyce Woodhouse, but he, he sent me this great quote about he's going to leave Nevada politics to Nevada, uh, but uh, he recognizes that uh, he would never want to re- recall Joyce Woodhouse's mother, but uh, as a Democrat, Joyce Woodhouse is, uh, she has wanted to recall him many, many times over his life, according to Dallas Woodhouse. <laughs> uh, so Joyce Woodhouse uh, for my headliner of the week. That was a great quote. Okay, Joyce Woodhouse in the hat for headliner of the week. So we have Durham protesters trying to turn themselves in, uh, Robert E. Lee and Joyce Woodhouse. Uh I am the uh, husband of a Pinecrest High School alum, so I have to go with Robert E. Lee on this one. Uh, That's it for Domecast. Catch us next week. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 